episode 163, How to Think Like a Life Coach. Hello, everyone. I hope you are having a wonderful, wonderful day today. I am offering you a peek into my brain this week. I'm not sure how attractive an offer that sounds. <laughs> I'll tell you, my brain's not always, it's, it's very human. It's very human, just like your brain. But specifically what I'm offering this week and what I, what I want to talk about is how to think like a life coach, meaning what does my brain do differently when I am coaching someone and what am I training? What am I teaching and sharing here on the podcast and inside of my membership that you can use what I've developed over these 10 years to apply it to your life? Some of these things you probably hopefully already have learned and do. The way that I operate as a coach is very different than the way that I operate outside of coach mode, right? I've shared on the podcast before that often when people will ask me for, for help with something or support, or like they have a question about, especially if it's about marriage, I will always say to them, are you asking me as a friend or are you asking me as a coach? Because my answer is going to be very different either way, because there's really two different modes of thinking. So what is that and how can we use some of that? I don't think that in the course of a podcast, I can download all of these skills, but I want to give you a picture of it. And especially for those of you who are considering joining How to Glow, my community, because this really is the most powerful work that we do there is we learn to think like a coach for ourselves, for our children, for the people in our lives, usually not for our husbands. I try to keep you from coaching your husbands because we want to just let them do their thing. <laughs> we need to coach ourselves about our husbands usually. Often we need to coach ourselves about our kids too. But we develop this skill because it's kind of like, you know, in education, there's this idea of scaffolding, right? Like the first thing I'm going to just show you how I do something. Let's say I'm teaching long division. I'll show it to you, right? And then the next thing is we're going to do it together, and then the next thing is eventually you move on to be able to do it by yourself. And the most powerful work that I can do is to empower women and, you know, the five or six men that are listening here to, to empower you to be able to do this work on your own and, and not to always need to come back running to a coach or a mentor, but to really be able to, to take this and even to develop it and to mature it. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's, let's get into it. So first of all, what does it look like when we're thinking like a friend? I want to sort of differentiate these two. So let's even get clear on what that is. What's going on when we're thinking like a friend? Well, one of the things, if someone's talking to us, they're sharing something that's going on in their life is that we're showing up with empathy, right? And part of the way we get to empathy is that as they're talking or thinking like, what would that be like if it was me in their shoes? How would I handle that? Wow, that sounds like a lot, right? I'm right there with them. Another thing we do is we join in on their feelings, right? So this person's feeling shock and outrage. I'm shocked and outraged for you. Or you're super excited about this new thing. I'm going to be excited as well. So we're just joining in on the feeling party with them. And that feels so good when you have someone that's like, you know, I'm excited about something and you're excited because I'm excited. We all get to be excited together, right? And another thing that we often do as a friend is we're looking for solutions. We're looking for advice. So I'm not just sitting there being like, oh, I can't believe it. But I'm like, oh, maybe maybe you should try this. Or I heard about this great organization. Or I heard about this home management technique. Or I heard that if you do this to your husband, he listens better. We have these things like maybe this will work. You should try that. We're very much in that mode as well. And I think that makes a great friend, to be honest. I think that we all need those people in our lives very, very much. And I think it makes a terrible, terrible coach. <laughs> so why? 
maybe not the excitement part. I want my coaches to be excited when I'm excited. I'm like, come on in the party, but pretty much everything else, I don't need them there. I need my friends to offer that to me. Okay. So what's different? What does it look like when we're thinking like a coach? So the first thing, and this is especially if you're working with a mindset coach. Now, I wouldn't say that every type of coach is this way. There are people out there who who their coaching is like, I want to explain to you, you know, you want to lose weight. So I'm going to tell you what you need to be doing. Okay. I'm not going to necessarily talk about what's going on in your head. I'm going to give you information. To me, I sort of consider that almost like a consultant, right? And there's like coach consulting. <laughs> it's like, sometimes there's like a little bit of a mesh between the two, but we need consultants. We need parenting. A parenting coach might be a parenting consultant. Really what they're doing is they're giving you information about child development and what's going on for your kid. And that's really what you need. Now, I'm not saying we all need to change our language. You can call yourself a coach and maybe you, you're more in the sharing information mode. In the context of marriage, I often move into the consultant type sharing information mode. But that's not for the purpose of this episode anyway. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a coach who's really focused on mindset and what they're doing, number one, more than anything, is they know that everything that's happening for their client is rooted in the thought that they are thinking. A hundred percent. If a person knows everything that they should be eating to get to their goal weight, but they don't believe that they can do it, it does not matter how much information I share with them. There is no information I can share with them that will get them to their goal. It has to come back to the thought, right? And so a coach who works like I do is always looking for the thought. It's the most important thing I can do for you is help you see the thought and what it's creating for you. One of my favorite tools and one of the first things that I'm always doing when someone is talking to me and I've got my coach hat on is I'm looking for the story versus the fact. How is this being presented? Okay, what actually happened? Like, what are the facts of the situation? And I usually have to ask that question. I usually have to ask them, can you tell me exactly what actually happened? Because most people, when we're sharing a situation, we're actually sharing the interpretation and the story. And that's what our brains do automatically. Our brains immediately interpret information. Okay. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but we have to be very intentional of pulling those two things apart. Okay. So let's say if someone said to me, my husband really doesn't validate my feelings. If I'm the friend, I might be like, that sounds really hard. You know, like I, I like it when my husband validates my feelings. I don't know what that would be like for you. And then I might even have some ideas for her. Like, Hey, maybe have you, have you told him what that means to you? Right. That's in friend mode. If I'm in coach mode, I might say, okay, well, he doesn't validate your feelings. We can't really prove that. Like he might think he does validate your feelings, right? This is your story that you're kind of walking around with. My husband doesn't validate my feelings. Let's just start. I'm not trying to prove you wrong ever, ever, ever. We're not trying to say these thoughts are wrong or you shouldn't have them. They're very good information. They're just not the facts of the situation. And that finding out the facts is phenomenally effective. Okay. So you think your husband's not validating you. What actually happened that made you feel that way? Like last night, did he not validate your feelings? So what, tell me what happened last night. Like, what were the words that he said? What were the words that you said? Where were you sitting? What was going on that your brain then went, see, he doesn't validate my feelings happened again. All right. So that's a tool that all of you can start to try and practice. Like next time that you're feeling upset, just 
put on your little coach hat and be like, okay, wait, I'm upset because of a story and interpretation. What actually happened? And let's just find the separation. You don't have to move anywhere else, actually. Sometimes that's all we need to do is we just make that little division between story and fact. And all of a sudden our brain is like, oh, okay, well, at least now my story feels a little less heavy. It also might feel a little bit more optional. I might have another interpretation that's suddenly available to me. But what we so often try to do, small tangent here, is we try to change our story before we identify the fact. So what would that sound like? My husband doesn't validate me. Maybe this is a test from Hashem. Maybe Hashem believes that I can do that. Or maybe, you know, I should, I should just be more supportive of him, even though he doesn't validate me. Stop. It doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because you never got down to the facts. You're still believing the story is the situation. We can't feel positive about a negative situation. Okay. And not even positive, but just constructive, right? So then if I go, okay, wait, he actually said these specific words to me. And now I'm dealing with the facts on the ground. Now I might have some other interpretations available to me that might get me to a constructive or positive place. All right. The next thing that I'm doing as a coach is I'm watching the thinking. Okay. So instead of like, oh, tell me the story. I want to understand the story. I want to experience the story with you. I'm like watching how they're thinking about what happened. One of the ways I do that is I start looking for key words. Okay. What is the language this person is using in describing this situation? So some things that come up a lot will be, we'll get into this mode of like shoulds and supposed to, right? Well, I should take care of my kids and I should make sure I do that. Like if I'm in the should and supposed to mode. I'll see that come out in a lot of the language, or maybe it's in have to mode. I have to get this done. I have to take care of this. If this doesn't happen, it will be really bad. What's going on over here, right? These are going to create different emotions. Sometimes the language puts us at the effects of another person, almost as a victim to what's going on. So is the person only describing what everyone else is doing and they're not really seeing or describing what's going on for them, but they're just kind of like in, I don't know if I like the word victim mode, but just very much like they are not a player. Are they describing it as everyone else is taking all the actions and making all the decisions and they're not, right? For instance, let's say that you, your husband wanted to move and then you move to a new community and you don't like it. Are you noticing how he decided about the move or are you acknowledging, usually we don't, by the way, like this is unintentional thinking, right? Not the, not the pre-coaching, right? Thinking, or are you thinking he made me move or are we in a place of like, well, I agreed to the move. I decided to go with his idea. I decided to, right? So so that's another place that, that will often come up. Why is this so important? First of all, our brains take us really literally. When I'm looking at my kid and my kid's throwing a tantrum and I'm like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this or I can't handle this right now. My brain will be like, oh, we can't handle it sound the red alert, like panic mode. We can't handle this. This is really, really, really bad. Did I really mean it? Like I can't handle it. No, it's kind of just the way that I'm thinking about it. Right. But now I'm going to actually experience it as if it's something I can't handle. Okay. So my, it's, it's going to go all the way there emotionally. So the language, and another thing I would just say about language is like, is the language really dramatic? Is it very all or nothing? Is it very black and white? Right. That would be another thing that I'm watching for. The next thing I'm watching for is behavior. 
So I know that whatever you're thinking is going to create how you're feeling. As I'm looking at my kid throwing a tantrum, I'm thinking I can't handle this and I'm starting to feel panic. It's going to make me do certain things. And that'll be different from one person to another. But I'm watching to see what that is. And I usually, again, will have to ask, okay, so you're watching your kid throw a tantrum. So what did you do? What does that look like? If I was watching you, if I was spying on you from the side of the grocery store, like what would I actually see you doing? Okay. I want to know, I want to follow the thought through its full life cycle. Okay. I'm not trying to see like what happened. Well, okay. I pepped talk to myself and I reminded myself what my teacher said. And no, we're not even going there before you did all that stuff, before you calmed down, before you told your husband, before you did all those things, what happened first, right? What were you doing? And this is where we usually go offline in terms of our self-awareness. We don't notice that. But this is a skill that you will get better at the more you practice. And if you see some of the women inside of How to Glow, they are phenomenal. I just had last night one of my clients that's been working with me for a long time. She flies through these models. It's so fun to watch, right? And what she's doing is like such advanced work now because that part of her brain, it, it knows that she's going to come back and say, what was I doing? And so it's paying attention. And there was someone else on the call who's very new to the program. And I told her like, you're going to work on this and you're going to get it. And you're going to get to a place where you're so much more self-aware when you're in this mode. Right. And so it's just very cool to see someone who's been using this material and who's been training for a while, who's able to just really get this like next level. Now we're able to go so much deeper because she's got that. She's watching that life cycle of the thought. She sees where it goes. She sees how she's behaving, even not in the moment, but even when I pull her back for coaching, she's able to, to catch on to those things. What are these behaviors that we see most often? I'll tell you scrolling on the phone is a huge one. Eating tends to be one online quote unquote research. <laughs> is often one snapping at husbands, putting up walls, emotional defense walls. These are the kinds of things that we see a lot. when we have negative thoughts and feelings, are those all of them? No, I would just say those are my heavy hitters that come up in the program. Planning and criticizing as well. Okay. So again, watching for that behavior. And then the last thing, and this is the deepest work right? And the one that I think we almost always need someone outside of ourselves to reflect back to us this is the value of continuing to work with a coach is what assumptions are being made. Okay. We operate already with some assumptions about the world and how the world works and what's good and what's bad. For instance, if my father helped wash the dishes because my mother made dinner and then I get married and I make dinner and my husband doesn't volunteer to wash the dishes. He actually just goes and sits down on the couch and starts to relax. I have a very different response to that because I grew up with an assumption and I'm not judging the assumption. I'm not saying for better, or for worse, or get rid of it. But I grew up with the assumption that these things, the dinner is a shared activity. Like one person cooks, the other person does the dishes, right? So I'm watching to see what are the assumptions that what, what do you think should be happening? Are you assuming this is bad? We do this with children. I have a lot of children examples this week, but we do this so often with our children. Our child is struggling and we assume that that's bad. As if our child, as opposed to all the other child children that exist, all the other humans that have ever gone through childhood in the world, our child is not supposed to struggle, Right. That's like the default. We're like, no, no, no. Everyone else's kid can struggle. I can see how that's going to build character, but my kid, mm -mm. no, my kid's supposed to sail all the way through, right? 
We assume that we make that assumption and then our, that's going to color the whole story. Okay. So this is deeper than just catching the story because sometimes the story will come across as like my, my son's really suffering. Right. And then I can just catch that there's an assumption there that son's shouldn't suffer. So I've got the story. We don't even know if he's really suffering. That's an interpretation. I might want to investigate that, but I'm also noticing the assumption that he somehow shouldn't suffer. Okay. This is just a sampling. <laughs> I would say these are some of the most common things that I'm using as a coach. This is definitely not all of them, but these are the tools that I love to teach my clients to use that I love to teach you here also to use. I'm going to share one that just came up last week. So I caught a belief. This is an assumption. All right. All right. Actually, it's maybe a little bit deeper than an assumption or deeper, different, but I caught myself in a belief last week that I want to share with you to just illustrate kind of how this works in real time. So we three months ago had our fifth child, Baruch Hashem. And so we've got like, you know, baby mode and also older kids and homework and dinner and toys on the floor. Like we've got all the different stages of development. Like I'm going to just throw magnetiles everywhere and I'm spitting up on someone and I need to do homework and I have like job, right? Like all happening kind of at the same time. And so we're in the afternoon. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to put on the table for dinner. Kind of one of those just busy afternoons in our house. And I'm, I notice all of a sudden I catch that my body is really, really tense. And that I'm feeling a lot of stress. Okay. And I realize that the thought is that this is so hard. What is so hard? Kind of just like parenting, having five kids, having a baby again. Like I was just thinking, this is so hard. And as soon as I thought, caught the thought, I was able to just stick on coach hat for a minute. I'm still like hands in the freezer, figuring out what I'm cooking. Right. But I'm able to catch it and question it. And what's so fast is very, very fast. And again, I'm doing this work a lot and it's faster. I always think it's like your brain practice is like your yoga practice. You step off the mat for three months. Don't expect to be able to do everything the same way before, you know, when you were going to yoga class three times a week, it's you're, you're not going to be able to do that. These are muscles. Okay. But I'm doing this work a lot. And it was very easy for me to immediately notice the thought, to question the thought, and to just realize like, of course, this isn't hard. There's nothing hard about this right now. I'm making a decision about dinner. Doesn't take a lot of effort, right? Like that's pretty straightforward. People might like it or not like it, but the, deciding like what I'm going to actually take out of the freezer and defrost and cook, not hard. The magnetiles on the floor are not hard for me. There's nothing complicated or confusing. There's a bunch of magnetiles and they're on the floor. At some point, they might get picked up or not. I don't know what's going to happen with them. They're only hard because I'm like putting them on my back, on my plate. They're not on my plate. My plate is deciding what to make for dinner, right? I have to literally put food on the plate, not the magnetiles. The magnetiles are in the other room sitting on the floor. That is not hard for me. There is noise. And I know those of you who feel very sensory overloady, I get that too. But guess what? Thinking that it's hard to hear noise makes you feel much worse. I've tried it. <laughs> okay. And then I just reminded myself like multiple people speaking at different decibels at the same time isn't hard because there's nothing for me to do. When I'm thinking of hard, I'm thinking of like, I'm stuck. I don't know. I'm struggling there's nothing literally to struggle with right now. This isn't hard. 
And I want to clarify from like hard work versus hard. Hard is like, this is a struggle. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Hard work. Is it hard work to have five kids? Yeah, I have to work hard. Make Shabbos is a hard work sometimes. Is my job hard work? Yeah, I work hard. It's not hard though. There's a distinction between these two things, right? And so because I was in this like, oh, this is so hard. I'm feeling all this stress. I'm like, I don't know if I can figure out dinner. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like thinking of all the different things and everyone's going to complain. And I'm starting to worry, who's going to, maybe I need to make a system where we clean up the magnetiles at a different time of day. And how should we do the evening routine? And I just need to tell everyone to be quiet. It's just way too loud in here. I cannot handle it, right? I didn't get there, but I've been there before. I know that's where this would lead. It's me going out there being like, go to the street. You can't be screaming in the house because I would have just made myself so overwhelmed by thinking this is so hard, but it wasn't hard. Okay. That's thinking like a coach. What would my darling, delicious, wonderful friend say to me? Oh my gosh, I know you have this little baby. It's so hard. Like someone should be taking care of you. How do we do this? It's we're just superheroes. We have so much on our plate. And that feels good in the moment. But the truth is it wasn't on my plate in the first place. I don't have to feel better about my stress if I don't have to feel the stress, right? So this is like cutting it at the root instead of trying to put the Band-Aid after the fact. Sometimes we want the Band-Aid and that's okay. I'm not negating that. But if I never have to feel stressed out in the first place, what's available to me? What am I able to create in my life if I'm not repairing and spending all that energy there? And my kids can actually play in the house because I don't have to send them to the street, okay? So this is one of the best things about thinking like a coach is that the more you learn to do it, the more you get to do this for yourself. And the more you do it for yourself, the better you get. Like I said, it's like a yoga practice. The longer you've been doing yoga, the better. Whether you're not, you understand yoga, you probably can understand this metaphor, right? If you've been doing yoga forever, you can do it better, right? Like I've done yoga for, I take a class. I try to get there every week. And she asked how long I've been doing yoga. And the, and the number was more than half my life, which made me feel either very old or very experienced. <laughs> and because I've been doing it a really long time, when I get on a mat, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be looking for, right? I've done enough downward dogs to know all the mistakes that I made those first five, six years that I was doing yoga and to all automatically make those adjustments. But if I haven't been on the mat, like, like, which is true for me right now, because I'm postpartum, if I haven't been on the mat for a long time, even if I know what to do, I'm still a little, you know, my hamstrings are tight. I can't really get into the pose properly. So it's both ways as well with self-coaching. The longer you've done it, the more you understand these tools very, very, very deeply. And the more frequently you do it, the more your brain will catch it on yourself right? The more you will automatically be able to fluidly just, it's so cool when I have someone who like really dives into the work. And one of the things they'll say to me is like, this thought came up and I always think this and I, I know what happens and I always end up in a fight with my husband or I get resentful or I get snippy or something happened. And today it just like went through my brain and moved along and I just picked a different thought. That was so cool. And I'm like, enjoy it. It doesn't always happen that way, but it does happen when you're really in there doing the work. And it's so fun when it happens because you're like, oh, that's the investment is like, oh, that whole fight just sailed right past me. Like I didn't get involved. I didn't get triggered. My emotions didn't get all hijacked. I just watched it go, come and go. And that is the frequency factor. 
that is, that is somebody who is doing this work, putting on her coach hat in the beginning, I give you exercises with pen and paper. So you like really know how to do it and you're doing it very meticulously. And then as you go, you start to be able to do it a little bit more on the go. We come back to that pen and paper pretty frequently though. Right. And you start to understand what's like, I guess I'll just say this last piece. I am totally geeking out on this because I just love it so much, but is you start to understand your unique brain and it creates so much compassion because one person has a thing where like, she just tends to get judgmental or self-righteous and another person just tends to get insecure and another person just tends to really want everyone to like her and it's okay. Not a problem. We just have these tendencies. And when we start to notice them, we just catch them in the moment. Like, oh, there's me trying to please all the people. That's me doing my thing. I know that that's what I do. And then it's so easy to shift to the next thing. What do I really want to be doing? What am I really trying to create? Because we see it. We love it. It's just my, that's just my little brain computer that's operating and doing its thing. It tends to do that where it wants to people please. And I can investigate it if I want, but I can also just accept it and love it and not take it so seriously when it's telling me everyone needs to like you, right? So it's, it's very cool that like becomes the work that you can very much do on the go because you know what to expect. You know what your brain's going to be offering you. All right. This was a super fun one for me to record. So I hope you got something out of this. I'm going to remind you again, story versus fact is where I start with most of my clients. I think it's a great place to start if this is all brand new work for you. If you're wanting to take this deeper and you're not in how to glow yet, what even are you doing? (laughs) We have all the masters in there. I'm telling you, these women are phenomenal and they're taking this work very deeply. And to watch someone get coached, if you're still learning how to do it, is such a powerful thing to have access to these women who've been doing it for years, to have access to a coach who's been doing it for years. It's really an incredible opportunity. And I want to encourage you to just make that investment in yourself, because if you learn how to work with your brain, there is literally nothing more important because everything that life throws at you, everything that you're dealing with, you will have a tool to navigate it and to show up your best. We don't know what we're going to have to deal with in life and we can't control that. But what we do have in our control is everything that happens after the thought actually the thought too. (laughs) Everything that happens after those things happen is what we have in our control. And it all begins with your thinking. So I just really want to encourage you, if there is any area in your life that you want to be up-leveling, that you want to stop struggling, that you want to see improve, if there's something you want to create in your life, if you don't even know what you want to create and you want to figure that out, come inside of How to Glow. It's open enrollment. Join today, kaylalevin.com forward slash coaching. I'd love to have you in there and help teach you these tools, see how it applies to your life. And we're all going to be there cheering for you as you master all of this material and see all the changes in your life. It's so, so cool. All right, my friends have an amazing week. I will see you back here next week. Bye-bye. Hey there. If you know a newlywed or you are one, we have a wedding gift for you. Go to kaylalevin.com forward slash newlywed to get access to my best selling course, First Year Married. You have got to be in your first six months, so make sure you don't wait. And if you've been married longer than that, but you're looking for some more support or this stuff is just super fun for you, I'd love to have you join me inside of my membership community, How to Glow. It's for women looking for a fresh take on relationship development. Join us for live coaching calls, signature classes, and anonymous Q&A. Let's do it.